because there is a big distinction between self-destructive behavior and doing things that bring you joy. And I think giving yeah. yourself permission to do those things that bring you joy, like eating cake, like cooking, like whatever it is. I don't have to go there to have the joy. The joy is here. The joy is something I carry. The joy is accessible to me if I'm just standing in a field at home. Welcome to Unearth Women, the podcast that connects women around the globe through shared experiences, reminding us that we're all in this together. On today's episode, Nikki Vargas, Unearth Women co-founder, talks with Emmy-nominated television host Rachel Rudwell to discuss testing positive for COVID, the state of the travel industry, the new responsibilities of travelers, and finding joy within when we're conditioned to believe it can only come from afar. My name is Nikki Vargas, and here we have Rachel Rudwell. Let's just dive right in. You know, you have an experience with coronavirus. I'm just going to let you take it away. I will say first and foremost, uh, something that I ended up prefacing my social posts about my COVID experience with, and that is there are a lot of individual stories, individual experiences of COVID-19. Each one of those is important. It can be impactful. I don't want this to be doom and gloom. I don't want anyone to feel like this was scary and depressing. And I also don't want anyone to think, great, she's a doctor now <laughs> because I'm yes. not a medical professional. So trusting the experts is key here, but I'm happy to be on the upswing enough that I can now share my experience with you. So um, first and foremost, hey everyone, thanks for joining <laughs> Yeah, it provides confidence to share my story. I was on the East Coast with Nikki um, in New York on an assignment in early March. And I followed that public speaking engagement with a job assignment in South Carolina. And this was in the time where the US was still open for business. I mean, yes, a lot of the world was grappling with coronavirus, but the US hadn't really implemented strict measures yet to control the spread. It didn't feel like it was here. Not really. So my experience of New York and then South Carolina was one where it was the first weekend in March. Things were still open. My contracts were still moving forward. I'm sure lots of people listening in know that that was true of their lives at this time as well. Stuff was still moving forward. But people had begun to buy up all the hand sanitizer. Or maybe it was like, you know, TP gate in your world already. And there was no, there were no paper products at the store, but no mm -hmm. one was really changing their behavior. So when I got back from the East coast to where I live, which is Oregon, it was uh, mid-March, March 12th. And things began to look more serious. The president mm -hmm. and the government had limited flights from Europe certain states or cities were imposing stricter measures for large gatherings. And I said to my husband, mm, I've been on the East Coast. It seems like there are a number of cases in New York. Didn't know how serious it was yet. But I figured, uh, let's self-isolate with one another and just make sure that I didn't bring any germs back. I really mm -hmm. did not want to get anybody else sick. Yeah, of course. I wasn't thinking I was going to get sick. I was thinking all the news stories I've heard say that this isn't a big deal for young people. Mm -hmm. I'm in my 30s. I'm really active and I'm not immunocompromised. So I figured I'll probably be fine, but I could still be susceptible to catching it and passing it on. Yeah. It became apparent fairly soon after that that was not 
the way it was going to go for me. I had some symptoms show up two days after arriving back home from the East Coast mm -hmm. and thought that they were post-travel fatigue. I would guess that people who are listening into this conversation today know the feeling. Whether it's jet lag or you're a little sore, you're just needing extra sleep. I had a headache. I figured I'm probably dehydrated. I've been flying a lot. I had some muscle aches. I thought, well, I was carrying a lot of camera gear for the assignments mm -hmm. that I was on. So there was an explanation for every symptom. And that's, that's how it goes. And it's interesting because the symptoms differ so much from person to person. Right. So I hadn't heard anything about headaches or shoulder aches. And, and I just kind of was um, doing my best to, to probably rationalize and talk it away and think mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm healthy. It's, it's all good. But about five days after the initial symptoms showed up, it started to get really serious for me really quickly. And it became evident that I was uh, sick with what was most likely coronavirus, and it was not going to go down without a fight. Mm. How did you know that you had coronavirus? Like, how, like, when was the point that you were like, this, it wasn't just sort of rationalizing the individual symptoms, it was more so like, oh my god, this is what's on the news. This is what everyone's talking about. And it's in my body. Like, what was that moment like? For me, it all came together with some jarring clarity when the symptoms on the news were the most notable. Mm -hmm. So the body aches and the headaches and stuff that formed the lead up to the really serious symptoms, I still mm -hmm. was hopeful it was something else. I mean, I had had a flu shot last year I was feeling like it's probably not the flu, but maybe it's not coronavirus. Maybe we could still be all right, right? Yeah. Um, but the day that my temperature spiked, that the cough began, that felt like the uh-oh moment. Around that time, the cough got really bad, which I still have a bit of a lingering cough, and I hope you'll excuse it. It's the Zoolander cough at this point. Like the oh, the, the merman. Yeah, merman. <laughs> I have that now, it's considerably better, but the fever for me was a major indicator that something was seriously wrong. It was, for me, 102 Fahrenheit for seven days. Yeah. I only run 98 Fahrenheit, so full four degrees warmer than usual. And for anybody's body, that's extremely challenging. It takes a lot of resources. So that was the point where my husband and I said to each other, okay, uh, we should call the urgent care and see if they think that we should come in for testing or anything like that. I had um, had a phone call with the doctor earlier in the week to express that I was having these symptoms and I had been in New York and hey, maybe, but really I was more interested in making sure that cases were properly documented nationally. And then a couple of days later, it became clear that I also just needed to make sure that I was gonna be okay. Yeah, so so were you able to get tested then, I assume? I was able to get tested. I so what was that process like? How, for those who are wondering even how you go about getting tested for coronavirus, because it's such a sort of messy situation and politicized situation, how did you go about getting tested? Was it difficult? It wasn't particularly difficult where I am, because where I am in Oregon hadn't been really hit by this yet. Mm. So I was still at the beginning stages and I really still am in fairly limited numbers compared to places like New York when it comes to people who've been sick in this region. <clears throat> the process goes like this. If you think that you might have coronavirus and you're worried about it, 
call ahead to your doctor, to your mm -hmm. urgent care, to whatever your medical facility is, and tell them what you're experiencing. They okay. will tell you whether you need to stay home, ride it out. Yeah, it sounds like you might have it, but unfortunately we can't do anything for you. We don't have tests or we think you'd be putting others at risk. They might instruct you to stay home and come in if it gets worse. Hmm. In my case, there were enough cases and they said, we want you to come in. These are your instructions. You are to wear mask and gloves. Uh, my husband was driving me. So okay. they said, send your husband in since he doesn't have any symptoms. He'll wear a mask and gloves as well and he'll register you as a patient. You okay. will wait in the car. Because the thing you don't wanna do if you have coronavirus, you might have coronavirus, is come in contact with people that you could mm -hmm. potentially get sick. So yeah. most medical centers have systems in place now to limit the numbers of people that potential COVID patients are coming in contact with. <clears throat> my husband registered me, came back to the car, we got a call from the nurse. They sent my husband back to the car and they said, we'll have a nurse call you. Okay. Then the second stage of the process was a nurse called me to talk through the symptoms. Once we talked through those, they gave a call back. They said, yes, we would like you to pull through the drive-through coronavirus testing tent. We drove up to the testing tent. We got waved through by nurses in full gowns, gloves, masks, and face shields. Hmm. They ran through my list of symptoms for what was at that point the third time with the nursing staff, took my temperature, noted it, checked my breathing, noted there was some shallowness, but it didn't seem to worry them. And then they called out a doctor. Doctor came out, <clears throat> checked the symptoms again, right, to make sure everything was good. And at that point thought they were just going to give me a flu test. Mm. He said, I see here you haven't been to Italy. And I said, well, I have been to New York. It sounds like there are cases there. And the moment I said New York, the doctor went, we're going to need a COVID test over here. This one's been to New York. Oh, wow. Started, and they came running. And um, the process from there was, we'll give you a flu test. Mm -hmm. If the results are negative for the flu, you don't have the flu, then we will send out your COVID swab for processing. But if you come back as having the flu, we'll assume it's that and not run your COVID test. Wow. Technically, you can have both at the same time, but mm -hmm. I would imagine that was a move to not put additional strain on the infrastructure. Which makes sense. Yeah. They said, you know, because you're not having too much difficulty breathing, go home, ride it out. We will call you okay. with your test results for the flu later today. We will call you with your coronavirus results in five to 10 days. That's unbelievable. The testing turnaround time. I mean, I, I hear that it's gotten so much better, but that is, I mean, that is a huge amount of time to be waiting. They were saying that the average nationally at that point was five days. Wow. So said that would probably be the fastest you would get it, but you might get it in up to 10. Um, wow. There ended up being some testing snafus, which we can talk about later, but they said to me at that point, the doctor said, go home, hydrate, rest, ride it out, come back if things get dire, basically. Um, and what that means in the context of coronavirus is you can't breathe on your own. Mm. So if you think I might be experiencing COVID symptoms, it's scary, I'm nervous, I have a temperature, um, I am getting chills, all of that, that is stuff that the medical staff at any facility will instruct you to ride out at home, unless mm -hmm. you have 
a condition that worries them, like a lung condition, or you're having severe difficulty breathing. And I want well, I want to I want to ask you real quick because this is you know it's very scary to go get tested to get this test to then be told that you won't hear back for five days and then to be sort of sent on your way with this immense anxiety of is this in my body and then compounded with the 24-hour news cycle of coronavirus but that's really scary so I want to ask you a little bit about how did you manage that anxiety because this is such a tense time I, I feel tense just talking to you about this <laughs> well and you would know because yeah. you experienced coronavirus as well so mm -hmm. and and we are two examples of of the people that they don't they haven't been talking about as much in the news and that is young people um i don't know whether you're you consider yourself immunocompromised but i'm not mm -hmm. so, i'm not either but my boyfriend is asthmatic so it was a little a little scary there yeah and and we're not people that many of the news stories are talking about so a lot of the news stories are saying you you should be hyper aware if you're of an older demographic or you're immunocompromised, you have pre-existing health conditions, things like that. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people that I know in their 20s and 30s at this point who are experiencing it and getting hit really hard. Um, yeah. The hardest part, which you're bringing up, is probably the not knowing. Whether it's not knowing if you have it or not knowing whether it will get worse or not knowing when the test results are gonna come. The not yeah. knowing part in life in general. I mean, it's whether, terrifying. whether yeah. you're waiting for a call back from a person that you have a crush on, or you have a college and you haven't gotten a letter of acceptance yet, not knowing, waiting for something that's out of your control is always really spooky. And um, there was a fear in the back of my mind that was things change fast with this virus. So some of the stories that my husband and I had heard about were of people who were otherwise healthy, who got coronavirus symptoms that were manageable at home. Mm -hmm. And then in a span of an hour or two, they took a real nosedive and they went from temperature, fever, body aches, the quote unquote normal, those would be the mild and moderate symptoms of coronavirus. They all of a sudden went to severe or critical and they Oof. needed to be on ventilators or given supplemental oxygen, things like that. Those are the things that really, um, indicate that things are getting serious and in the back of our minds there was a fear that if or when it gets worse it will do so quickly and we should be ready for that which is not a way that anybody wants to live it's fortunate that many of us don't normally have to live in that sort of headspace mm -hmm. but that was the headspace that we were in the whole time that my symptoms were really bad so you know this is such a personal experience and I know, as you mentioned, I had coronavirus too. Thankfully, it was very mild. Um, and, and aside from the anxiety, aside from sort of getting through it yourself, I want to talk to you about the decision to actually talk about it publicly. You know, because I, I think that in speaking with some people, you know, there's been a, a varied reaction to people who decide to share their coronavirus story. And I think that because there's so much fear and anxiety around it, there's a fear of sort of being ostracized as a result of saying I'm positive for coronavirus. And then there's also this amazing help factor part of it, of being able to tell people a version of a coronavirus story that doesn't end in death. So mm -hmm. I wanna turn it over to you. You put out this amazing post on Instagram. People should go check out at Rachel Realms. She put this amazing slide and just beautifully written post about her entire experience. So 
tell me what led up to that decision to share your story. That's a great question. Deciding to share my story was very intimidating. I, somebody who works hard in the work that I do to connect people to the world, to one another, I work hard to be transparent, to share uh, the nitty gritty of, of the processes and say the projects that I'm on and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I want to invite people in. There was a really strong sense of nerve wracking responsibility, I would say, where I thought if I share this, I have to honor it with all of the bandwidth that I have. And that wasn't a whole lot. I didn't have a mm. lot of strength and a lot of energy at the time that I shared, but I wanted to be transparent, to share the real and the thorough process without it seeming woe is me, without yeah. making people just feel more fearful. We have plenty of stories that are gonna make people nervous. I do not want to add to the list of things that have made you nervous today. <laughs> so I did everything that I could and I spent days and days kind of going over the ways that I thought might be effective to share. It was um, really important to me to be informative for people to make them feel more empowered in their knowledge mm -hmm. and to help them feel connected to what this really is or means in their lives and their communities. We do have a responsibility if we're non-essential workers to stay home. There are mm -hmm. lots of people that don't have that luxury that have to go into work every day. But for those of us who can work from home, should stay home. And I wanted to Many people have said, you know, wow, you're the first person I know who got it, or you're the last person I expected to get it, or you have put a face to this virus for us because it hasn't really hit our communities yet. Mm -hmm. And that was my hope, was to make it a better point of access for people who might have only heard from the news or might have only heard dark stories of, of people who lost their lives instead of somebody who's like, I'm figuring it out. I'm fortunate to have someone who is helping take care of me during this process, but I'm finding a lot of gratitude and other things as well, like just being um, more normal now, feeling more myself, um, observing the springtime, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't, I didn't want it to end on a note that's like fear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such an important message. Like I, I love the message and you're right because everything is so dark and doom right now. So those like, it's really just finding light in the darkness, which is so important. And, you know, one thing I do want to ask you about is what's so interesting and unique about this pandemic is that not only are we seeing it impact people from the health standpoint, but we're also seeing it impact multiple industries, impacting people's jobs, careers, everything. And you and I are both in the travel industry and we're both content creators within the travel industry. And, to be in a situation now where neither one of us can travel and, and, and we're sort of seeing this sort of systematic collapse of airlines and hospitality and restaurant industry, it puts us in a tricky position. So, you know, I wanna talk to you candidly about how you're navigating this from a career standpoint. Mm -hmm. There are lots of people, like you're saying, who are affected by this and mm -hmm. probably a lot of the people who are listening in today um, there are industries that are shutting down, whether they are 
um, the things that keep our, our domestic economy running or they are international and they're tightly woven and related to the whole global economy. Mm -hmm. um, staying put feels like a major obligation. And so I am, I feel kind of settled in the idea that that's just my job now. That's my job. My responsibility is to stay put so that other people can do the good work that they're doing to keep our world functioning, even on a scaled back level, to keep our community safe. Mm -hmm. My job is to stay here. A lot of my contracts have been postponed, canceled. Like you're saying, there are whole airlines and, and um, chains for hotels and things like that that are going under or are going to go under. And that is so out of my control. Yeah. That it's one thing to read the news story and it feels like another entirely to mm, consume it with the intent of holding it and figuring it out and seeing how it impacts me because I, I don't know. I can't know. That's not mine to know. Um, yeah. And I think that's so interesting. You know, I, I love what you just said about we can't know. And, and I think that's like a, that's such an important message here. And, and you're so right. Um, it's really difficult to know what's going to happen. And I was laid off on Friday from my full-time job as a travel editor. And I will say that it has taken some time to sort of wrap my mind around the fact that many of us, unfortunately, career-wise, health-wise, are collateral damage to a situation so much bigger than any of us and that it's okay to not have it figured out. It's okay to not know what our next step is. It's okay to just stay put, follow the CDC guidelines and just be happy that we're alive. And I think that's the situation we're in. I'm sorry to hear about your work. It's one of many that feel close to home and is only mm -hmm. such a, it's a small cross section of what people are experiencing nationally and globally. Yeah. And it feels really daunting and I'm sorry to hear it. And I can echo Thank the you. sentiments and say, I got nothing on the calendar that's paying me. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, it's, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. We've got to pay the bills. We have rent or uh, internet or whatever subscriptions we're paying for mortgages. There are mouths to feed. Um, and I think now, in a way that hasn't been seen in recent memory, we can understand one another really deeply because we're all in this together. And mm -hmm. because there's so much that's beyond our control, one of the homework assignments that I'm giving myself <laughs> is to try to let go of expectations. Mm, I love that. Real hard work. It's a lifetime journey. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the reason that this pandemic is hard in so many ways, aside from the illness and the loss that that causes in people's lives, it, it's losing access to what we expected life to look like. And mm -hmm. expectations can be beautiful because they help us set goals and they help us follow through, but they can also be really damaging because when we don't reach them, we feel sad or we feel angry. Mm -hmm. We feel less than. That's just a part of being human animals with egos and you know that's a part of of being alive i think in a human form but it's not serving us right now 
to have specific expectations about when the economy is going to open back up, what form that will take for us. Yes, we should be planning to the best mm -hmm. of our ability to support ourselves and our communities and our families, but holding too tightly to timelines when something isn't ours to control leaves a lot of space to just feel angry or sad again if it can't align with what we've projected. I really love what you said about letting go of expectations. I think it's so profound and I think it's absolutely true. Again, this is such uncharted territory that we're all in together and absolutely, you know, everything that we think is a given is being upended and and it really is in a beautiful way, I think we are sort of seeing the true colors of humanity in so many ways. And there is a lot of light to be seen in this situation. And, um, you know, one question I do want to ask for you uh, is I want to talk about quarantine. You know, I want to talk about how are you making the best of quarantine? And, and it could be anything from a new hobby or a new TV series. You know, I, I want to sort of add color to this question by saying that there seems like a lot of pressure right now to learn a language, play the violin, learn a skill. And for myself, I have days where I sit in pajamas all day and I do nothing. And then I have days where I wake up and I cook three meals a day and I work on Unearthed Women and I am being productive. And I have sort of made the decision for myself to just ride the ebbs and flows of emotion in this quarantine. I'm allowing myself to feel what I need to feel and to be kind with myself about it. So I want to sort of pass it over to you. How are you handling quarantine and what's getting you through it? That's a good question. And also, I think probably <laughs> everything that you have expressed resonates with people who are chiming in. I'm seeing people that I know personally who are travelers. <laughs> I'm seeing um, comments from someone named Jennifer's camera, who I imagine is used to getting out there in the world and taking photographs, intrepid, mm -hmm. theater, fearless traveler, right? Um, I'm seeing <laughs> business owners that I know who are probably trying to figure this whole thing out just day to day. Yeah. I'm thinking of you, Jian. I love what you're putting together in this world, Jian Shen. <laughs> so what I'm doing is, is very similar to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I'm giving myself permission in ways that I don't normally, I'm a really go, go, go person. Mm -hmm. I have things planned out. I'm always on the move. I don't like to sit still for very long. And I'm also unfortunately not very patient with myself or forgiving sometimes. I don't give myself bandwidth to exist and breathe deep and do all the Zen things that actually connect us to sense of place or person. Mm -hmm. um, so what is really, I mean, I'm going to use big sweeping words here, beautiful, invigorating, um, and also new for me is having the space to give myself permission. What that permission looks like is different every day. Maybe it's permission to eat a lot of cake. <laughs> love me some cake right now love I, that it doesn't feel totally like emotional eating i think it feels more just like a thing that's bringing <laughs> joy i'm not like sitting crying into the cake i'm more like that would make me feel so excited right now but like, you know cake. that is amazing and that is such an important distinction because there is a big distinction between self-destructive behavior <laughs> and doing things 
that bring you joy. And I think giving yourself permission to do those things that bring you joy, like eating cake, like cooking, like whatever it is, is so important right now. And they give us these beautiful endorphins. And I'm really trying to extend an invitation to myself to play in the spaces that normally feel off limits. I'm not working on a sweet six pack right now. I felt like I was an excellent. Neither am I. (laughs) Yeah, right. I was in great shape before I got sick. Now I'm in recovery mode and I'll work out if I feel like it, but I'm not like, oh my gosh, post-quarantine bod, best bod for sure. I'm like, "Hmm, what feels good today? And sometimes it's reading the book that I don't normally have time to read. Sometimes it's calling somebody that I haven't talked to in years that I've always loved and admired that I realized suddenly I could talk to because we're both trapped. (laughs) Right. So I would encourage anybody who's listening in, um, if you haven't explored this yet, it's okay to not write the next best selling novel. It's okay to not have an eight pack or to not learn a new language front to back. If that doesn't feel good to you, if that feels good to you, get it. If that feels bad to you, if you feel like you want to cocoon and, um, create a safe space for yourself to live differently, then do that. Slowing down is beautiful and it's not available often. It really gives us a chance to ask ourselves what really matters to me. What that feels, is so true. What feels good? What yes. feels juicy and rich to me now? I love that. And you're so, and it's true what you're saying that we don't get an option to slow down a lot, no matter what career you're in, no matter what industry, All of us have our to-do lists, we have our responsibilities, we have places to go, people to see, and we're always moving, moving, moving. So there is a beauty to having this time to connect with friends, connect with family, do things that have been in the back of your mind for years, whether it's reading that book or eating that cake. (laughs) It doesn't matter. There is, I think the message here that I love what you're saying is that there is joy to be found in this situation if you look for it. And if you, if you choose to sort of protect your psyche and, and make that decision to sort of wake up and change your mind and change your approach to the day. Yeah. And, and I know that there are days where we are going to feel sad, where we're going to be grieving or feel anxiety. That's a part of the process. So that's Mm -hmm. okay but also joy is okay. I think as a culture, we have a hard time creating space for joy in a difficult situation. Like if we're grieving, we think we're not supposed to laugh because that seems counter to grieving. That seems disrespectful somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a sacred space to be made for joy and fun and play. And on those days where you feel up for it, Step into it. Try it on. Wear it like a dress. <laughs> wear that joy. <laughs> like, where is it going to take you? You have no idea. Maybe you want to play a board game. Maybe you want to go on a walk. It doesn't sound that exciting. But when you're in it, you will feel joy. And you don't have to have joy in big sweeping experiences right now. I was on a walk with my husband on Easter Sunday. And I was looking out across this field that belongs to some neighbors where we are in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And something about it reminded me of a trip that I'd taken to Bhutan 
which is beautiful and it's in the Himalayas and it's far away. And I thought, ah, oh, Bhutan, I was so happy there. And I, you know, kind of thought about it and then sat in the field for a little longer. And then as we were walking home, I thought, but I was happy here. And I thought, huh, I don't have to go there to have the joy. The joy is here. The joy is something I carry. The joy is accessible to me if I'm just standing in a field at home. Mm -hmm. There's something different about it. We somehow assign less points because it's not as grand. It didn't take hard work to get there. But mm -hmm. maybe actually it did. Maybe it took a lot of hard work just to access the place where we gave ourselves permission to live in the joy of just being here today, um, wherever here is. That's so beautiful. And especially for travelers too. It's like, we're so programmed to find joy on the opposite side of the globe. And it comes with a passport stamp and the beautiful imagery and this idea of sort of finding joy in your backyard. And, you know, I think ultimately what this comes down to and what we're talking about is giving yourself permission to feel what you feel and do what makes you happy in this present moment. Because at the end of the day, this is this is a unique situation and and it's it's a pandemic <laughs> it is a global pandemic that we were all surviving together and there is no right or wrong way and how you handle that and process that and 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 find happiness little pockets of happiness in that yeah rachel and, i want to ask you yeah. as a traveler i'm sure you're just and like wishing for your next trip and where you want to go next. And I know that I'm sitting here just daydreaming about the places that I want to go to the minute that I can. So where do you want to go when the world hopefully resumes normalcy soon? What's the first place on your list? I keep thinking of places I can go hiking. That's kind of been a trend for a lot of years mm -hmm. now. I love nature a lot and the opportunity to see spring coming into being mm, right now is yeah. just very excited to participate in the natural world this cool space rock that we all get to live on like it's the coolest and <laughs> I want to be in places that celebrate that or that I can celebrate that places that um exist more separately from the touch of humankind I know we um we've accessed everywhere by now pretty much, but places that feel remote that are, whether it's high altitude or it's just a big open space. Um, I want to go hiking in the Balkans. I oh, go that's gorgeous. The Dolomites in Italy. I want to go hiking in the Himalayas again. There, I just find myself really craving open space to move my body. That will feel really good after we've all been cooped up, right? It's going to be juicy, mm. like get it moving again. And also to just be reminded what a special place this is to live. I love that. I, I'm also craving nature, although I will say the place that I really want to go to, places that I want to go to are, ironically, being in New York, I want to go to cities. Like, I want to, I miss restaurants. I miss the culture of people being together and, and the hustle and bustle on the streets and I'm like, I think the first place I would want to go to is Paris. I just want to sit at a sidewalk cafe and have an incredible meal, dining al fresco with a glass of wine and just people watch. My God, 
it's like funny the other day i was thinking um i actually miss the feeling of people shoving me on the subway platform in new york i just miss the people and like you know just the community of it and as crazy as it is like that's what i miss the most i think to me the most jarring thing is just going out on the streets and everyone is just so far away and so covered up and and so distant and to live in a place like new york as you know from being in new york um it just goes against everything that we're used to. So that's, I would say like Paris and also Italy. I mean, like Italy has taken such an awful hit and I am just, I made myself cacio e pepe yesterday and had some Italian wine and just sat there and thought about Rome. Um, I know we're both different than one another in terms of the specifics of our work, but for me, everything's on hold. Everything's been mm -hmm. postponed or canceled, whether it was work assignments or it's weddings of family members, it's all pushed, um, some of it indefinitely. And I think what's really important to keep in mind as travelers, um, as much as we might feel like we're biting at the bit, I, I personally am like, I'd get on the first flight. That sounds great. But also, <laughs> I think we have a responsibility to make sure that we're doing something that is okay for the destination. Mm-hmm. Just because we can take a flight doesn't mean we're going to be let in. Or just because we can get in the car and take a road trip after lockdown doesn't mean it's a good idea to go to that remote destination because that community might not have the medical infrastructure to handle an outbreak. So I don't have anything on the calendar. And I think that for me, travel will naturally open back up when people in the destination say, it's okay, we want you. Yeah, and that is so true. And same thing, all trips are canceled for this year. I was supposed to go to Colombia in two weeks. Colombia's actually closed its borders um, until the end of May, possibly uh, beyond. But I agree with you completely, Rachel. I, I think it's, I don't think that it's going to be a magic day where everything opens up all at once and everything's back to normal and we just go about it. I think that this is going to be a process. It's going to happen in phases. And absolutely, to your point, just because, you know, perhaps Italy might be opening their borders, France may not, or, you know, Switzerland may not, or Sweden may not. So it, it really, it really is going to depend on a lot of things. And I think this might be a little slower than most people are realizing. And, and also, of course, you know, somebody was asking me the other day sort of about unearth women and how we're pivoting content because we're not really producing travel guides at the moment and and i feel as sort of a you know a travel journalist and editor that we're sort of past the point of travel content being aspirational because travel at the end of the day is a luxury and we are seeing the highest unemployment rate since god since maybe the great depression and so it's going to be a little while until travel is where it was until people have the disposable income to book trips that they want to book and it's going to challenge everyone in the travel industry us to adopt a new approach to travel content that is inclusive of this new reality so i think absolutely you're right that this is um it's something that needs to be done mindfully Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, yeah. I forget whose word this is. I want to give credit where it's due. There's um, this guy who uh, popularized the idea of micro adventures, where he's mm. this kind of described as an intrepid explorer type. He is from the UK, if I remember correctly. And he 
was known for going far and wide and doing really far-flung adventurous things and and one day kind of came home and and shifted his perspective and started to encourage people to have adventures in their own backyards in their own communities so in the meantime depending on where you are and when it opens up and how it opens up micro adventures are also a great way to get the endorphins going to feel like you're learning to participate in the world and to come out the other side feeling better for the time that you've just spent exploring. So whether we're going to the other side of the world or we're just going out the front door, it is possible to experience new things and to have adventures and to feel joy in doing so. And we'll just kind of see what our year requires of us in each of those regards. <laughs>